today on our first podcast of 2022, we are kicking off the new year by asking the big questions about OT. Today, we will be discussing what the future is of OT, what your own OT career will look like over the next decade, and how we as a profession need to change and evolve. The journal article that we'll be discussing is very concise, but it definitely packs a punch. It lays out a vision set by the American Occupational Therapy Association for where they would like to see the occupational therapy profession by 2025. So we'll start this podcast by reviewing that article, and then I am just thrilled to welcome an incredible guest to our podcast today, Arame Anverizade, Vice President of the AOTA Board of Directors. Her and I will discuss how the vision has changed since its original publication, and most importantly, we'll discuss what this vision means for practicing OTs and how we can build our future with intention in this rapidly evolving world. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where we review new and influential OT journal articles, then invite on an expert guest to help us pull out actionable takeaways that you can implement in your practice starting today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And before we dive into this topic of the future of occupational therapy, I wanted to let you know that this podcast may qualify as continuing education for you. To gain CEU credit, you will need to be a member of the OT Potential Club, where after listening, you can head there and take a test and generate a certificate for your time today. I also wanted to let you know that the price to join the club right now is just $49, but at the end of January 2022, we are going to be doing a price increase. So if you are thinking about joining, there is just no time like today. I hope you start the new year off by joining the club. So bearing in mind that this could count as a CEU course, I wanted to explicitly state our two learning objectives so you can be thinking about them throughout the podcast today. Our first objective is that you will be able to recognize some current gaps in our profession that the AOTA vision pushes us to address. And second, you will be able to describe why increasing occupational therapies, diversity, equity, and inclusion is critical in preparing us to meet the societal issues of the future. So let's begin by looking at our journal article, and then we'll bring on Arame to discuss how this plays out in your practice. The article that we are looking at today is called Vision 2025. It was published in the American Journal of Occupational Therapy in 2017, and it is ranked 37th on our list of the 100 most influential OT journal articles. So this is by far the shortest journal article that we've ever looked at in the club. It is less than a page, and it begins with a little information on how the AOTA 2025 vision was drafted. And then I'll go ahead and read that vision to you guys. So just as a little history, the prior AOTA vision was drafted in 2007, and it was known as the Centennial Vision. And as you can tell, that title was anticipating a major milestone here in the U.S. as 2017 marked the 100th birthday of the occupational therapy profession here. So again, that Centennial Vision was drafted in 2007. It carried us through 2017. But in 2014, the AOTA began the process of crafting an updated version of the vision, which is now known as Vision 2025. 
the AOTA retained the McKinley advisors to help with the process of visioning. The first step was surveying more than 60,000 AOTA members and non-members. Interviews were also conducted with industry leaders. In 2015, the AOTA Vision Summit was held with nearly 100 AOTA staff and volunteer participants. The results of the interviews and surveys were presented, and over the two-day summit, essential elements were identified, and three possible drafts emerged. And then somehow, the article doesn't really give the details, but these were distilled into a single statement, which was sent to 58,000 participants and students. And then the AOTA Board of Directors approved Vision 2025 in 2016. So here's the vision that they adopted. The AOTA 2025 vision reads, Occupational therapy maximizes health, well-being, and quality of life for all people, populations, and communities through effective solutions that facilitate participation in everyday living. And then along with that core statement, these guideposts were also adopted to further communicate the core tenets of the vision. There are four of these guideposts, and I'm just going to read them in full for you. They're each about a sentence long. The first guidepost is effective. They say that occupational therapy is evidence-based, client-centered, and cost-effective. The second guidepost is leaders. The article says occupational therapy is influential in changing policies, environments, and complex systems. The third guidepost is collaborative. Occupational therapy excels in working with clients and within systems to produce effective outcomes. And fourth, accessible. Occupational therapy provides culturally responsive and customized services. So that's kind of where this 2017 article ends. But if you Google the AOTA vision, you will see that it has since been updated, which is such a fascinating story that I can't wait to discuss with Arame on this podcast. But to give you a little background, in 2018, the board of directors approved an updated version of the vision to include a new pillar. The new pillar was equity, inclusion, and diversity. It says, we are intentionally inclusive and equitable and embrace diversity in all of its forms. They also changed the actual vision statement to begin by saying, as an inclusive profession, occupational therapy maximizes health, well-being, and quality of life for all people. So I had just one takeaway from this article that I wanted to share with you before we dive into this interview. Again, my takeaways are always just my personal takeaways. They are not mentioned specifically in the journal article. And my one takeaway that I wanted to share was, for me, it was just super fun to think about how the research that we've explored in the club and on this podcast really builds on the pillars of our vision. I think when you first look at the vision, the pillars and the statements can feel a little vague, but when you pair it with the research that we've looked at in the club and on the podcast, I just really feel like it fleshes out the progress that we are making in these areas and also underscores the work that we have on each of these pillars ahead of us. To go along with this podcast, I'm going to be publishing an article called The Hot Topics in OT in 2022. And in that article, I'll take these pillars of the vision and I'll list my favorite discussions we've had on the podcast related to each pillar. So you can just see for yourself how the research that is coming out really does fit well in these categories. And we just have incredible people working on each of these pillars. But for now, to help us dive deeper into this vision, how it applies to your practice, it is just my honor to bring on Dr. Arame Anverizadeh, 
O-T-D-O-T-R-L-F-A-O-T-A. She is the Director of Admissions and Associate Professor of Clinical Occupational Therapy at the USC Mrs. T. H. Chan Division of Occupational Science and Occupational Therapy. Arame is responsible for developing the holistic admissions process and for maintaining effective admission strategies and procedures within the division. She also oversees each academic program and makes certain that the division is filled with high-caliber, diverse students. Arame is a founding member and chair of the Coalition of Occupational Therapy Advocates for Diversity, also known as COTAD. She tirelessly works to support and establish COTAD chapters at academic programs across the country, while empowering students to facilitate dialogue, awareness, and change related to the issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, along with anti-racism and anti-oppression within the profession and beyond. Dr. Ann Verizade recently made history as the youngest and first African-American slash Iranian woman to become the vice president of the American Occupational Therapy Association. She is also the youngest woman of color inducted into the prestigious roster of fellows, which is indicated by the FAOTA. Arame is passionate about building healthy, diverse communities through inclusion, equity, empowerment, and advocacy. Using her skills as an occupational therapist and her passion for people, Dr. Ann Verizade helps others discover, cultivate, and spread their maximum potential. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to patch Arame onto this podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Arame. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me, Sarah. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited to talk about this OT vision today. I've actually spent most of my day with it. It's four o'clock here. And I've just been surprised about how hopeful I'm feeling about it. I think I'm usually like a glass half empty kind of person. And I don't know. I've, as I dug into each pillar, I've walked away with a lot of hope from it. So I'm really just excited to dive into it with you. I'm excited. This is a really cool topic that you have, you know, the vision has been with us for several years now and we've been able to digest it and really just, you know, hone in on it, make it our own, but to really have this conversation as we've had it for a few years to see how we're feeling about it, what it means to us and where we're at with it is an incredible topic for you to have. So thank you for having me and, and having me talk about this vision. Yeah. Especially as we head into 2022, I think 2025 feels a lot closer as we flip the calendar year. So it feels like it's go time on the vision. So before we head into the specifics of it, I really wanted to start with your story. And I'm going to give you a two-part question. I'd love to hear first about how you became an OT Mm -hmm. and then about how you wound up in the leadership of the AOTA as vice president of the board of directors. Yeah. I think an origin story is so important. So Mm. really cool that you're starting off with this. So people know history and they know your heart and they know your passion. So OT, you know, I really, and I maybe several, maybe a lot of your listeners and uh, people involved in the podcast were probably pre-med. I was traditionally pre-med. I was going to be a neurosurgeon. I was going to be fight and fierce and, you know, doing my thing. And I was a sophomore and I was also a student at USC, a sophomore at USC. And um, somebody came into our class. 
in our organic chemistry class. She was a recruiter. And I'll tell you the full circle moment because it's beautiful um, and really shows how small our profession is. But she came, she spoke about occupational therapy. She spoke about the opportunity to get a doctorate. Rewind. I think it's probably 2002, 2003. So the OTD was fairly this new concept. So it was really advertising the OTD. And I was like, wow, you can get a doctorate. This seems really cool. It seems like you can continue to work with individuals after surgery. You don't just say do the surgery and say goodbye, but you get to have a longer impact. So I started taking a course or two and it was really interesting and I was, you know, doing really well. And I was in denial, Sarah. I was in denial. I was like, mm, I'm still going to medical school. I'm still blah, blah, blah. I changed my major. I became OT, still in denial and still really didn't realize that I had fallen in love with our profession and what it means and its impact. Again, I was going to have graduated without even once hearing about this profession, would never have known what occupational therapy is if I didn't, you know, pay attention to her recruiting spiel. She must have did such a wonderful job that like five people in my actual row became occupational <laughs> therapists. So she was a heck of a recruiter. But with that being said, I finally transitioned into occupational therapy, got my master's and my doctorate and continue working. And I, I've been working now almost Next year will be 15 years as a clinician, as an educator, as an occupational therapist, a profession that I love with all of my heart. The full circle moment is that person who is a recruiter is also now on my admissions committee. And so it's like now she has also a say, well, she was on the last year, has a say in how we're looking at individuals holistically to become occupational therapists. So now I work with her in another capacity and she's part of the reason why I've become an OT. So beautiful full circle moment and just exciting to share the story. So thank you for asking. Great job getting her on your committee. She's clearly good at I recruiting know. OTs. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Finding the OTs. And I think you had a second part to your question um, about leadership and, you know, why I've become involved in leadership in AOTA. And I think that oftentimes people probably automatically, when they're asking this question, probably think about that I'm a vice president of AOTA, now that I'm a VP, that this is the first time I'm being part of AOTA leadership. And I want to be clear that I have been part of AOTA leadership for several years, starting with my role um, as an emerging leader back in probably like 2011, 2012, and then being part of the representative assembly as the California constituent for two terms of six years, being on multiple committees such as the governance restructuring task force, the entry level OTD task force, on and on and on. There's several different committees I was on. So running for vice president has really just demonstrated my consistent dedication to the profession. You know, therefore, my reasoning for being involved in different areas of leadership at the different times of my career resonate differently. You know, but however, I decided to run for AOTA vice president because I wanted to be part of the change from the old guard, right? To see action, you know, to see increased representation of diverse individuals, thought, lived experience, cultural diversity, not just saying diversity of practice settings, right? I believe that we should be the change that we want to see. And I wanted to not only see that change, all the things I mentioned above, but I also wanted to see transparency. I wanted to be a part of governance restructuring. I wanted to look at how we can update leadership recruitment efforts. 
And I want AOTA to be the premier organization for our OT profession, but we must first really ensure that our members are actively engaged, that they trust the work and they understand the goals for the future. And that's really why I decided to run for VP, but it's part of my leadership trajectory. I didn't graduate and say, you know, I'm going to be <laughs> today, <laughs> but I yes to opportunity. I said, yes, I want to be a part of this emerging leaders program. I got accepted, thankfully. And I didn't know what the representative assembly was. I was very involved in my state association. I was the communications chair for OTAC, the California Association of Occupational Therapy. And so I just said, yes, okay, yes, I'll be involved in representative assembly. Mind you, like I just said, I did not know what the RA really was, but I took a stab at it and represented California until I got more and more and more opportunities to say yes and now be the AOTA vice president. So having a seat at the table, creating space and representing individuals who were who were, had limited representation in the past, right? So that is why I am involved in leadership, right? To be a voice. Wow. So way back in the day, did you see yourself as a leader in the profession or... I see you as a change maker, like did being a change maker naturally lead you into leadership then? You know, it's funny. I often get asked to do like conversations about leadership or Mm -hmm. classes about leadership and talk about leadership. And when I go back to my story, you know, it's been ingrained in me. And I talk about, you don't have to be a leader from birth, born a leader, or a leader is anything that you want to make it. So I don't want to say you have to be AOTA president to be considered a leader. You could be a leader in your workplace. You could be a leader in, in your in your class. You could be a leader, however you define it, right? But just be fearless with it, you know? And so for me, I can remember I was in sixth grade elementary school and I was running for school president, you know, class president. And my dad was at school putting posters on and <laughs> You know, run for a vote for a Rame, you know, and in 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 crayon and all that, right? Until I in junior high was involved in the high school started. I I forgot these stories actually. I started thinking about it. I started a diversity kind of organization even in high school. Was a part of ASB in high school. So these are all part of like my story, right? It just kind of continues. So when I was an undergrad, I even started a community based organization at USC. That was the number one organization on campus that started, that provided scholarships for individuals to this day that have received the scholarships. And so it just kind of was a part of who I am, part of my identity to when I became an OT, I knew that I didn't want to just go to, go to work and come home. Nothing wrong with that. I knew it wasn't for me. I just knew that I wasn't going to see clients and just sit at home and not be, have a seat at the table. Right. So Again, when an opportunity knocked, it was, hey, would you like to be a co-editor of our OTAC newsletter? Did I ever become (laughs) ever an editor of a newsletter before? No, I was never an editor, but I was a new grad, right? And I got the nudge, a tap on my shoulder, and I said, would you like to just be involved? I said, sure. That led me to become the communications chair. That led me to harness my roots in my state, right? With my with community, create community until it led me on a national level. So I guess you could say, yes, I've always had this idea of being a change agent, you know, mm-hmm. but led to leadership opportunities. And sometimes I'm just quiet and try not to. Like I'll say, but others, you know, it still comes my direction. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that must be a sign. I gotta just 
but yes, you know, and so, and, and now my goal is to always pay it forward is to bring up new leaders. Uh, and, and so they too can be change agents and be empowered. So that's my, mm-hmm. I love how simple and powerful the advice of just like saying yes to the next thing. Like, I think that's how so many stories unfold. You just say yes to the next thing that comes along. And you're such a great example of that. Thank you. You know, it's just really quickly on that too, Sarah. It's interesting because at some point you got to say no. Yes. Because yes. I never knew that part of the story. then the boundaries come and then you're overworked. Yes. But you know, you're, people, so a lot of people don't get to that point where they can choose and say it, it's a conflict, not a, of interest, but just a t- conflict of time. And so, yeah, sometimes to give a good yes, you got to give a no <laughs> to other things. I'm still learning that today. Yes. So I want readers to know it's okay to say no when you can. Yes. <laughs> when, you, when you put in the hard work, when you arrived, you know. Yeah. So as someone who's a change agent, I see you as having just a strong personal vision for yourself. As we look at this AOTA 2025 vision, I really wanted to hear just how it hits you, what it means to you. I'm going to read it one more time for us just to hear it one more time. So again, the vision is occupational therapy maximizes health well-being, quality of life for all people, populations, and communities through effective solutions that facilitate participation in everyday living. So as a leader, a change agent, how does this vision hit you? Yeah, it's powerful. Part of this vision, now that was the original one that you read. That was... Oh, yes. I read the original one. Absolutely. Yes. It hit me like the one that we're using as an inclusive profession. Yes. You know, and that key part of uh, that update, it hits me differently than the one that you read. And for me, you know, this, obviously the Centennial Vision, which was in 2017, right? We were supposed to be, this arrived in Centennial Vision in 2017, was much longer, was much more detailed. And this one came off to be very just like, boom, right? And for me, it's simple. It means that all people, populations, and communities should have access. They should feel like they are safe. They should feel that they are removed from barriers, systemically, in healthcare, in community, in all things, right? Because it's not just, we don't just work in hospitals, right? We work in multiple settings. So when I think about it, I think about how do we provide opportunity as a holistic profession to all people, populations, and communities in an inclusive way, in a way that we're saying, hey, we see you, we're here for you, we will support you and advocate for you, no matter who you are, right? No matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your intersectionality, no matter your race, gender, no matter, you know, we're here anyway. And so to me, that's powerful when you really think about client-centered care, culturally, cultural responsive care, what we do and what we provide in the scope of practice and that we are across the lifespan, right? So it's powerful if you really think of how you can really make an impact with what it's really saying. Yeah, it really, with the addition of the as an inclusive profession, and then just how it's written overall, like for all people, populations and communities, that 
pushes me big time and kind of almost scares me. I think as, as a business owner, you're always like taught, like you don't serve everyone. You need to find your, you know, your just right customer. And this pushes us to think so much more expansive. And I like that push because I think we need it. Like, I don't think we're out there over serving, trying to serve too many people like occupational therapy really needs that push. And, you know, it absolutely, it can be so big picture, but it's still very simple because what we're doing is we're providing meaningful occupations to individuals to be able to have access, right? And even though we fo- you may focus on a sp- specific population, you, for example, when you graduate, you don't know all the thousands of diagnoses, right? I remember there was one syndrome I was in pediatric practice and I was like, what is this? I've never heard of it. I know, know the syndrome, but we don't treat the diagnoses, right? We look at function. We look at what's meaningful to the individual, the community, the population. And when you think of it that way, it doesn't make it so like overwhelming of a vision. It makes clear cut. You know, we're still serving the, the, the needs and wants and desires of the individual, the population, the community. And how do we do that? How do we be innovative? How do we be creative? How do we give, uh, give to, to make sure that that happens? And also understanding compassion fatigue is real. (laughs) You know, I think that it pushes us to think in that way that even though you might say, I'm a peace therapist or I'm a mental health therapist, you don't limit yourself in that box because you can still provide, right? You know mm-hmm. the core of who we are as a profession. Yeah, the core of occupational therapy is so expansive. And I love that just general push for us. So I wanted to ask for busy occupational therapy practitioners, how would you like to see them interacting with Vision 2025? for the next couple of years as we approach 2025? Yeah, you know, I think educators and schools have done a really good job, you know, with embedding it in curriculum and teaching Mm -hmm. it. And I know that happened when it was Centennial Vision was coming. So I know this is something that's been going on Vision 2025 is let it be known, bring it in the schools. But if you're already practicing, right, if you're not technically a new practitioner, how do you make this vision come alive in your work, you know? And I think all practitioners are busy, like educators are busy, practitioners who are in the clinic or in in non-traditional settings are busy. Everyone's busy. Life is busy, right? So busy is not an excuse, but I think that we have to talk about and look in, have to talk about reflection and how reflective we are and what our impact is. What do you want your legacy to be? No matter if you work in the hospital or if you work, whatever setting you're working at, what is your intention? What is your impact? What is your legacy? And I think when you start asking yourself these questions of how can I show up and be the best version, you know, for my clients, for my setting, for my profession, then you can look at the vision. You can say, hmm, this part of the vision resonates with me. And you don't have to take part ownership of all of the vision. You can say, I'm going to take ownership in this piece of the vision and make it my own. I remember in the Centennial Vision, because it was longer, right? I I said, I'm going to just pick the globally connected, diverse workforce, meaning society's occupational needs, mine. That is how COTAG got started, right? With a few wonderful others who made that part of their centennial vision theirs. COTAD is now an international organization, right? That was initially grassroots and now a multi uh, nonprofit organization. So 
you can take pieces of this vision and say, what is it that I am committing to the most? Is it about making sure that we maximize? Well, I could talk about the pillars, right? The pillars are really part of it that you might want to take. Do I want to be effective? Am I really going to hone in and just build my leadership, my professional development? How do I want to be collaborative? That's the part I'm going to do. I'm going to collaborate across all boards and make OT known, visible, a household name, whatever. I'm going to make this uh, DEI, equity, inclusion, diversity, my thing, right? So it might be overwhelming if you take all pieces and say, well, I'm going to go into work today and I'm going to be effective leader. Blah, blah, blah. No, maybe <laughs> just, you know, maybe your goal for this year is I'm going to tackle this piece and I'm going to be intentional about making it happen. So that's what happens is that we need to be intentional about sitting with it and saying, this is the type of practitioner I envision myself. This is what I want to move forward. This is part of the vision that I take ownership in and that I want to see accomplished. Mm. And that you say, well, wow, I'm creating my legacy, yeah. you know, creating uh, impact without even realizing it because I'm true to my core values and I've identified what resonates with me the most in this. And that's how you just own it. That's how you make it make it a part of you. That's how even if you're busy and you're exhausted, you know, you, you can't do anymore. You've been pushed to your wit, that you're back to your core values and say, this is what this means to me. That is why I'm an OT, you know, and 2025, I want to be a part of the change. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I hadn't, even though I've spent all day with it, I hadn't really thought of it that way. I'm like, for myself, that's totally being evidence-based, like that's the part that I would latch onto. And then we need many parts of the same body, many parts of OT latching onto different parts and pushing us forward in all the different areas. Cause I agree one person can't shoulder all of this. I remember Dr. Clark when she was president, she was like, think of yourself as a pixel in the big picture. Mm, yes. And all the pixels come together. Remember that? That that was her beautiful speech. Yeah, that's beautiful. So coming together and it makes this big picture. We are the pixel in that. And yeah. like that, you were taking part of the evidence-based piece of it, which really talks about like shows your work at OT potential. You making sure that CEUs are happening. You're making sure people are reading evidence-based work. You're making sure there's discussion. You're pushing the the discussion for the, you're pushing the envelope, right? Of what evidence-based looks like for you. And that's owning a piece of the vision. Yeah. See, we all have to speak and breathe life into it because we're all doing it. Probably don't realize we're doing it. But mm-hmm. when you're like, ah, I'm doing it, but now I'm going to make it even more intentional. Hmm. I want to look at each of the pillars and I actually want to do them out of order. I want to start with the one that was added, start with equity, inclusion, and diversity. So I want to talk about each pillar, what it means to you, but start with equity, inclusion, and diversity. And before we talk about what it means to you, I was wondering if you could give us a little background on how this pillar got added. I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast before you came on, but the original vision was released, I think in 2016, and then it was updated to include that little bit at the beginning that you mentioned that as an inclusive profession, and then this pillar was also added. Can you give us any insight background into how it was added? I can, because uh, I think, like I said, it's really important to understand history, right? 
because um, things like this could be erased from history if we didn't advocate and voice that it needs to be put in, right? So let's make that very clear that it was intentionally put in because it was problematic that it wasn't in there. Mm-hmm. And so a little bit of background is that AOTA, you know, they hired, and I know you have them with the article, so they know no parts of this, hired consultants who with AOTA in October 2015, wow, was that already seven years ago next week? They, you know, they hosted a visioning summit. And I believe, you know, the article that you had had everyone, like tons of AOTA staff there, lots of volunteer participants. And at that session, there were also a few COTAP founders present, right? So the vision was adopted in February 2016 and shared with members thereafter. However, there was still a lot of rising concern that diversity was explicitly not mentioned like it was in the Centennial Vision, like I read a part of the Centennial Vision that I take ownership of, was clear that it had diversity in it. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, in October 2018, they modified it to start with as an inclusive profession. And they added an additional pillar, which is the one we're talking about now, where there is intention about being an inclusive and equitable profession that embraces diversity in all its forms. Okay? Now, I must say you know, since we had to keep it 100, keep it honest, right? <laughs> right? You have to ask yourself, why? Why was it excluded? How is it possible to assume, now in this brainstorming session, uh, well, they kept on calling it a brainstorming session, but it was really a session to vote to make this the Vision 2025 come alive, but telling everyone it's a brainstorming session and, and that diversity wasn't intentionally meant to be that in the Centennial Vision, that diversity is really supposed to be diversity of practice, that it's assumed that we are a diverse profession. Mm. All of this kind of guarding of the profession, the old guarding of the profession. Now, how is it possible to assume that diversity was embedded in our work, right? And and so for me, that's where the problem lies systemically, historically, and that is why it's so important for members to pay attention to this when things like these issues arise, to call out, maybe to push back if necessary, to address it, to make it change. If we just said, oh, okay, yeah, you know, it's cool. Occupational therapy maximizes. It's cool. There's effective leaders, collaborative, accessible. It's cool. No, it wasn't. It wasn't cool because you were you were taking away this idea of, but how are we going to be serving all people, populations, and communities? Everyone doesn't come from the same lived mm-hmm. experience. Everyone doesn't come from the same socioeconomics. Everyone doesn't have the same story. So to exclude it is, is a problem. And so- mm-hmm. Thankfully, and those and the individuals from Cota are very vocal about it too. Um, saying, "Listen, no, it's not okay." And I and thankfully, the board of directors heard that, made a decision to make that change, and here we are today with the change. And so now that it's here, what are we doing about it? Right? What are we doing about it? Because the AOTA workforce survey still came out, and our numbers are very minimal. Slightly have changed when it comes to different individuals' backgrounds in our profession, right? Mm -hmm. Holds us accountable that it's explicitly in our vision that we have to see it. So let's not be fooled that we just assume that it's there. No, it's fluff. It's it's fluff. Okay. (laughs) Let's just be call a spade a spade. We need to have it present. We need to see it. We need to address it. And we we need to make strategic plans and put resources behind how we're going to address this pillar and make our profession an inclusive profession for all people, 
populations and communities mm-hmm. if we want to be real about it. Yeah. Yeah. You can look at our pictures of graduating classes and it's clear that our profession does not match the demographics of our country. Yep, of the people that we serve, which loops back to that larger statement. I just want to dig in just a little bit more to make this change. Was it individuals getting on the phone with leaders or was there like a group effort, like a group written statement? Just how do changes like this get made? I think we all see things where we're like, oh, I wish this was different. But how could I ever overturn this vision that came out and all this work went into? I think it'd be really tempting to give up. And I'm just like, how, give me just a little more specifics. How does that change get made? Like, Yeah, it takes work. I think people think, oh, we're just sitting back and, you know, you don't see the behind the scenes when you're pushing for change. It takes a lot of advocacy. And that's why I want to make sure we talk to the future practitioners to say, if one no, if you get one no, you don't give up. You know, if you get one barrier, you don't say, oh God, you know, you don't give up. Like imagine how much work we've had to do just to get that pillar added. You know, it was a motion from the annual business meeting to bring a motion. You know how much, like how vocal you have to be to say, mm-hmm. uh-uh, this ain't it. It's individual, it's collective, it's what we do, you know, it's OT, it's this collectivism, it's this individualism, it's this community that gets formed to say, we need to see this change, you know, and if you're not Vulcan, you just sit back and say, you know, well, this is what it is. This is what the consultants who are, we're not diverse, the consultants and the staff and the people that were at the Visioning Summit, they said, and this is the way it is. And you have to sometimes say, but it's not not the way it is because it doesn't represent who we are as a profession. And so I'm happy that Dr. Amy Lamb was the president at the time, which is wonderful, that they heard and they made that motion happen at the annual business meeting to make sure that it's explicit in the updated version of Vision 2025. But it took work. It took effort. It took, yes, phone calls. It took letters. It took writing. It took, you know, nudges. It took talking to the board. It took all of that, you know, it's a, we need to readdress this. And, you know, there's a lot of bigger changes that need to happen too, right? Not just in the vision. And so those bigger changes, until there's like this, this mass of people saying that these big changes really need to be shifted, then they're not going to happen. So we have to be on the accord of saying, these are the changes that we see that need to happen. And it doesn't, it doesn't need to be like, overlooked. We need to see that it's happening and not just performative. We need to see the action behind it happening. This is one of the actions behind it happening, but now we have to see it actually being implemented, executed. That takes it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. I think having this language and our vision, I think it's really powerful to have this language. I'm really thankful for it. I think when I remember this vision, 20 years from now, this is the part I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember that it changed and that this got added to it. Mm. So I don't want to take away from the power of those words, but I agree that there needs to be action behind it, that it's just a step and there needs to be more, more steps that come. For 2025, what concrete action do you want to see from us for this diversity, equity, inclusion pillar? Yeah, the pillar says that we are intentionally inclusive and equitable 
and embrace diversity of all its in all its forms. So this work is work that I like I live and breathe. Like this is what I live and breathe. This is the part that I've also made my own in this vision. I think there's pieces missing. I think that equity, inclusion, diversity, perhaps I don't think it was intentional that I was put in that order because this is like back in 2016, 2018, when people weren't really using DEI as the form. Yeah. Jedi, which it could be updated to. But for me, it doesn't just mean equity, inclusion, and diversity. It also includes anti-racism and anti-oppression. And really looking at how can we incorporate all of these pieces, in, including justice, justice, equity, inclusion, diversity, anti-racism, anti-oppression in our work um, when we're serving not just individuals, but populations and communities to make them safer, to make them healthier, to make them more um I want to take us back to make the more equitable. I think equitable piece is such an important piece that we've, that we're understanding the difference between equality and equity. And so for me, it's how are we intentionally doing that in education? How are we intentionally doing that in practice? And how are we intentionally doing that in the communities that we are serving? And so when you're thinking about this, you're thinking about how are we being equitable, inclusive, diverse, anti-racist, anti-oppressive in education? in how we're serving our clients and in how we're giving back to our communities, right? So I look at all different areas that form who we are as the gatekeepers in education, as a, how we're serving, giving to our clients and how that gets funneled into our communities, you know, a healthier clients, population, healthier communities. How are we doing that? How are we teaching our uh, new practitioners this work through equity, inclusion, diversity, justice, anti-racism, anti-oppression? That's what it means to me. We have to look at all aspects of our profession. Mm -hmm. I love breaking it down into those three key areas for SSOT, the education, practice, yeah. community. I don't think I've heard people express it that way, but yeah, those are our three main thresholds that yeah. we need to be thinking about all these in those different layers. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of keynotes lately and I've been really breaking it down to saying, okay, it's all like connected. These are not silent, you know? They're like, oh, these, those are the educators. These are the practitioners. No, it's not separate. Like if you're teaching educator um, students how to be culturally responsive practitioners, then they're going to go into practice doing that, right? They're going to go train the work students that way too. Then we're going to have communities that are healthier. So it's just like all ties in, right? And so if we're not looking at it as a connection, then we're missing the boat. Yeah. So that's the, the equity, inclusion, diversity pillar. Uh, we probably spent the most time on that, but I I did want to breeze through the other ones too and just hear from you about what they mean to you. Starting next with leaders, the guidepost says that occupational therapy is influential in changing policies, environments, and complex systems. What would you say that pillar means to you at this moment? Yeah, it means, it means being authentic in your core values. It means being an authentic leader being rooted in your core values and being fearless about it. You know, that's what, how you influence, you know, that's how you influence, that's how you make an impact, not just in, you know, just OT settings, but in bigger settings, in rehab settings and legislation and life and, you know, systems. So you have to be authentic always. And if you don't know your why, and if it's not rooted in your core values, you're going to stray, you're going to mm. stray. And then you're going to forget the type of impact that you want to make. So mm -hmm. that's what it means to me. And that's what everyone should be thinking about is what kind of leader am I and why? You know, why? Mm -hmm. it, it can't just be for clout. It can't just be because you want popularity or you want attention because the work is hard. It's not easy. It's not, 
you know, I'm, I'm a new mom. I'm showing up at this podcast. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm a new mom. You know, it's dedication, it's commitment, it's leadership, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what it means to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think I see the makings of great leaders in so many OTs, but I think lots of us need that fearless push and the rooted yeah. in our values. To I'm sorry to interrupt because I, I get so passionate about this because we are the best profession. We should be leading the way in so much. Yep. The fearless part is key, yeah. Yep. The next is collaborative and the vision says occupational therapy excels in working with clients and within systems to produce effective outcomes. Is yeah. That- Go ahead. Sorry, Sarah. Yeah. Oh, I was like, is that their definition of collaborative? Sorry. <laughs> because yeah, you know, reading that over and over, it's like, ah, I, I think of it being different as well. But if it's in this context, you know, at the end of the day, we're client centered, you know, we're person focused. I like to say that, you know, we're person focused. It's very westernized person, but it's also could be collective you know, community. So how are we collaborative with the individuals that we're working with, the communities that we're working with, right? So that it's not this imbalance of power, okay? That we're not coming in like, we're, we're going to tell you how you should lead and how your health should be and what you should be doing. But it's this collaborative, beautiful song and dance effort, right? And then when you talk about within systems, you know, how are we collaborative? We How do we work with other rehab? Fields, you know, how are we making sure that, like, for example, OT, like I said, we're holistic. We should be in charge of a lot of things like holistic education and what that looks like, right? And breaking down those barriers. So it's about how can we be collaborative so make OT a household name, more visible, but rooted in an occupation. Hmm. Yeah, as I look at the pillars, I'm like, that collaborative piece, that's, I think that's our strength that we, need to lean into more like that's part of what makes us great leaders and part of what makes us effective but we need to not be inf- afraid to embrace that part 100%. of ourselves 100 it goes back to the fearless part you see how they're all tied in yeah another pillar is effective which it says occupational therapy is evidence-based client-centered and cost-effective this is your favorite one. Yeah, this is my stuff. favorite one. <laughs> this is the one that's speaking to you. Yeah, I mean, this is how we stay afloat. This is how we, you know, continue to to make sure people don't encroach in, in what we do. This is how we keep our profession growing, progressing, evidence-based, cost-effective, right? You know, we are in such a society of money, money, produce capitalism it's all about money <laughs> and unfortunately individuals who have less of it get poor health care right mm-hmm. let's be honest but how can we be inf- effective so that we can make our services so cost effective client-centered evidence-based so that it goes back to all people populations and communities having it it means to me how do we make sure ot can reach can have its full reach mm-hmm. can reach full potential look yes. at that <laughs> full OT potential. and so that's how effective we can be in you know our research our occupational science how we move this work forward the work that you're doing is ensuring that we're doing that right it's ensuring that we're effective by having these conversations that are evidence-based mm-hmm. by being client-centered that's who we are like you said collaborative that's us yeah yeah so that's what it means to me 
Yeah, I definitely see that one as another strength of ours and just something for us to continue to lean into. The last one that we'll talk about is accessible, which it says occupational therapy provides culturally responsive and customized services. Yeah. And, you know, that wasn't the original, right? The yes. Before, but that was before the equity, inclusion, and diversity. So you see how it was like thrown in there. Let's throw culture in there. Yeah, in yes, there. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly it wasn't explicit enough, right? Yes. Still like we need to have its own pillar. But so for being in there initially, I think that's what, you know, I, I'm happy to see culturally responsive in there all the time versus competent because competence, culturally competence is harmful. It, it just means it's a one-stop shop. But being responsive mm. and how we're creating customized services is, again, our strength, right? And I think really what we need to do for the future is bring accessible with equity, inclusion, diversity, right? Yeah. Um, accessible when you're thinking about inclusion, equity, even people living with disabilities or practitioners who, you know, are living with disabilities and making sure that we can create customized service. We are innovative. We are creative. This is what we do. And to be culturally responsive, I don't think any practitioner can be a great practitioner if they don't address the cultural and the psychosocial context. You're not mm -hmm. a great practitioner. If you don't realize the cultural context and the psychosocial, if you miss that boat, you're not doing justice. You're not providing the services for our people, communities, populations. So this is a very powerful one, accessible. Mm-hmm. So that's our statement in our pillars. I'm thinking ahead already to 2025, which I'm excited for. Well, Blinken will be here, right? <laughs> yes. Um, one of the final questions I wanted to ask you was, as we're already we'll be thinking about that next vision, I'm sure the visioning process is going to start happening in the next couple years. What are one or two things that you would like to see differently in our next vision? You know, our, our visions continue to grow and expand. You know, Centennial Vision was beautiful, but it's brought us to Vision 2025, which will bring us to our next vision. Whatever yeah. <laughs> we call it, you know, but I, I envision the vision also being very focused on action and have it be action-oriented so that it comes alive, right? So that it speaks to us and that the vision is created with the thoughts of having intersectionality in there, right? So I know that prior for Vision 2025, we had like diversity and stakeholders, but what did that really look like, you know? And so when we think about the next vision, I want us to think about the future uh, of how we're holding protecting, caring for people with different intersectionalities? How are we really providing quality of life for all people, populations, and communities? I really want it to be like um, a charge. And mm. I know I don't really like that, but it's time. It's time to move. And with that, you need a charge. And so that is what I'm kind of looking as far as the future of the next vision. You can still say all these things, but how are we implementing it? How are we? And I think there needs to be a charge for us as a profession to say, but this is how we're going to be. This is what we need to see. This is not only like, okay, let's be collaborative, effective leaders, but it has to have more power in the charge of how we're going to move forward, how we're going to be this household name, how we're going to be, you know, maintaining our um, scope of practice, right? How are we going to be this powerful 
profession, driven by evidence-based, equitable, inclusive, diverse, anti-oppressive, anti-racist, justice-based, you know? How? Hmm. You know, because after 2025, you read, okay, oh yeah, we were effective. We were evidence-based. How? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were leaders. Yeah, we, you know, we did this, but how? What did we do? You know, were we just on a whole bunch of task forces? Like what came about it? What comes from it? And so I think that's really important when you're thinking about the next vision. I'm an action-oriented person. Yeah. So it, it has to give me action. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know that about you. And I love that. I love that that voice is on our AOTA leadership, because I would totally agree where I'm like, I want the benchmark, like we're OTs. We want those smart goals. Like, how do we know we've arrived? Like, what do our incoming OT classes look like? We could have concrete goals that we're going towards. And yeah, we just need someone to articulate that. And we'll move in that direction if we have those goals. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be our to our core, like we need to be able to feel it, you know, yeah. so that, that busy practitioner won't be like, oh, it's our vision, it's our vision. No, we need to feel it, breathe it, like it needs to resonate with us. Yeah. And feel it if we're not meeting it, like. Yeah. Like darn, like, well, I'm not meeting it. Like I need to step it up, you know, yeah. like <laughs> it's the action, like I got to make it happen, you know, or I'm not doing my due diligence in this profession. Yeah. Yeah. And it needs to be concrete enough that we know that we're not meeting it. Like, cause right now we could be like, oh, we're doing great with equity, inclusion, diversity. Yeah. We could be like, oh, we have a task some measure. Like, <laughs> yeah, we have a DEI task force and people are on it and now we have a DEI committee, but okay, what is coming from it? Yeah. Oh, you know? because then that's how it's performative. Like, yeah, we created it, but what came from it? Yeah. Outcome. Yeah, we're, we're the, again, we're, we know how to do smart goals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is my hope. Yeah. And that is the change. That's how we build trust. That's how we build transparency. Mm-hmm. That is why, going back to your first question, why I'm a part of AOTA leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the work that it takes and, yeah, lots of work and... Yeah, thank you for doing that work. And I think this calls on a lot of us to come alongside you in that work. Yeah, because it's it's hard to be doing it on your own, right? But to be a voice for the people, and it's always about people, mm-hmm. then that's what makes the work so important and special. Yeah. I want to close today with our rapid fire questions. It's been so great to hear your thoughts on this, but... I also want to ask you questions that relate more to you as a clinician and as an OT. Are you ready for those? Sure. Let's wrap them up. Let's, let's, them let's off. do it. Uh, what's your favorite way to describe OT? Hmm. You know, when I do information sessions, because I'm in admissions, I say, tell me what you think OT is. Just Tell me one word, but I've been doing that in my classes a lot. Give me one word that describes OT. But so my description has changed recently quite a bit. So I like to keep it simple. It's to decrease barriers and increase access. Because mm. if you barriers and increase access, you can do that in all settings, right? In in education, in practice, in community. And it's how you can decrease barriers, increase access so that people can live meaningful lives, you know, filled with the occupations that are fulfilling to them, right? Mm. So that's the key is how are we decreasing those barriers? How are we increasing the access so people can be, so we can have occupation-based lives? Mm. 
That's like a phrasing of it I've never heard before, but immediately resonates with me and uh, yeah, it gives me something to latch on to. Right about it. Because it's definitely something that I came up with and I'm like, and I use it as like my like, Oh, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> I use it as our vision for admissions. Like how are we, dec- every time I ask, I say, how are we decreasing barriers and increasing access for our students? How are we being gatekeepers to increase access and decrease barriers? Always. You could say they could take that everywhere in every setting that you're in. You know, and how you're being an advocate for your people, for your clients, for your populations, for your community. That can be our 2030 goal vision. So, like, let me write it. Let me create yeah. it. You know, we'll be good to go. <laughs> oh. That's the way I think of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your favorite assessment to do as an OT? I love the COPM. Mm. That's everyone's favorite. Yes. I love the COPM so much because you can make it your own and you can really bring out the things that a regular evaluation at your setting doesn't have which is the cultural piece and the mm-hmm. psychosocial pieces and all those pieces that make up this person's day-to-day right you really mm-hmm. can wow you know tell me about the food that you eat oh, okay it's tell me about how you cook it tell me about you know you have curly hair and tell me about the your grooming talk to me about it. You know, it, it helps you build such a rich and beautiful occupational profile, which if you don't really take the time to do those things, you're missing the core of who we are and how we mm-hmm. base occupation. And then what was your favorite OT intervention to deliver? You know, can play the, just, an Oh, totally. <laughs> you know, play, you know, I'm playing all day, every day at this point with a five month old. So plays, <laughs> And I'm treating him like he is a, one of my clients. Oh, that is the best. Neural development, so growth motor, fine motor play. But play across the lifespan. It's how you play, you know. You oh. know you're playing. It's an occupation. But I think it's an intervention, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. People love it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, what's something you've read recently that's inspired you as an OT? Yeah. <laughs> We were talking about this. Uh, you know, it's one thing you read it, but the thing is, can you remember it as a new mom? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really hard, but I've been reading a lot of books on sleep, right? Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> I think that sleep is a powerful occupation. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, I, before I had my baby, I was a night owl and I would just sleep at whatever time. Now I'm just sleeping any old time. Yeah. Sleep depri- <laughs> Real. And I think that sleep as an occupation, and so the book I read is um, a gentle sleep book, really to help you know work on sleep training. Mm-hmm. But really looking at sleep as a concept and a contextual, and sleep in the Western societies versus other cultures are totally different, right? How we sleep, where we sleep, and so it really has um, inspired my OT practice to think about. You know, when we're sleep, even training a baby, like, oh, we're sleeping them on our routine because we're used to an eight hour work day, mm-hmm. eight hour day, and we have to get them on this schedule. But why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't go sleep. Why? You know, so it's having me question these and really realize that sleep as an occupation is also embedded in culture. And so it's one of the things that's been really interesting to read. So the Gentle Sleep book as inspired my OSU practice, thinking about sleep as an occupation. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I need that in our 2030 goal. More OTs focused on sleep. <laughs> and more yeah, OTs right? sleeping more. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, you know, focus on what that looks like for, like, postpartum and maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And stuff, like, and return to work. And yep. 
it's all surrounded around sleep and being present and being cognitive. Like it all impacts that. So, yep. And finally, how do you hope a patient feels after your an initial OT visit? You know, when I first came as the when I when I like recruiter in my organic chemistry class, and when I became as the profession, one of the things that I always thought is that being an occupational therapist keeps me humbled, mm. right? So it's not what I do or how you know it's uh, and how I make them feel, but it's also it's how they make me feel. Mm. You know, it makes me feel wow. This keeps me grounded. It keeps me humble to know the impact, the people's stories, the beauty in, in being a human, right? In resiliency. So they make me feel so much life, right? So I'm hoping that with this relationship that I'm able to help them feel empowered, inspired, fulfilled, excited, about occupation, that when they finish working with me, that they understand the power of occupation and what they bring to society, right? And so I think it's a two-way street because, again, it's that power imbalance. Well, how do I make them feel? But also, how do they make me feel? How do we make Mm -hmm. each other feel? Because that's what a therapeutic relationship is. It's this, again, song and dance. Yeah. You know, it's this, I'm not here to just say, check, 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 check. You know, we, we know bedside manner. I'm here to say, let's, let's really embody what this relationship, this rapport is about and how we make each other feel because we're healers, right? Yeah. We are healers and that's how we do it. If we're not on that same page. Yeah. It's part of being in a relationship. I agree. Right. Or else what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> empowered. Yep. Really. Can't yeah. believe it. We're already at the end of our time. Did you have any final thoughts that bubbled to the top of your head about the vision before we sign off? I just want to thank you again for having this conversation. You know, I think that again, we just have to always remember how can we be intentional? How can we make an impact and how we leave a legacy, how we lift up others to also feel empowered, inspired and be leaders, how we pay it forward, you know, in, in, in any way, shape or form. I think that's really important. I hope we leave with that with Vision 2025. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the time today. And I look forward to hopefully talking about our next vision when it comes out. Hopefully we could be a part of writing it. How about yeah. That? Oh, I'm already like, oh, you should write that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Wow, you all, like I said at the beginning, spending time in this vision and in this discussion with Arame just really made me so hopeful for the future of our profession. As we discussed, there are absolutely parts of our profession that need to evolve and change. And there is, of course, room for our next vision to be stronger. But for me, knowing that people like Arame are working at ushering in a new era of OT really just filled me with so much hope for our future. As a final programming note, again, if you are interested in earning a certificate for your time today, what you are going to do next is head to otpotential.com where you can sign in or sign up for the OT Potential Club. Again, we have that price increase that will actually happen on February 1st. So you have all of January to sign up and getting in before the price increase is a big deal because if you decide to renew the annual membership, you'll stay locked in at that low price that you're going to get this January. 
I am so proud of the resources that we have in the club, in large part because we have just amazing members who each week discuss the journal articles and discuss the podcast. We have awesome forums. So I really think it's one of the best learning tools available for occupational therapists. And I just highly encourage you to join us in there and take advantage of the content that we have. And as always, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope this podcast helps you broaden your knowledge, tweak your practice, and stay evidence-based. Take care, and we'll talk to you again soon.